wait, wait, it's hard wait, to wait. argue that kind of logic. No, no, it really is. no. But in all seriousness, actually, we're we're dealing with some super Kleinian. Uh, you know, very, I thought this very... was going to trigger you. This is going to trigger you in all kinds of. I just, I just, you know, I was just thinking creation fear. This is oh. Mike's gonna Mike's gonna get triggered. Totally. Well, Horton has some <laughs> Horton has some interesting spins on uh, on Kleinian. Um, it, it has obviously Kleinian ethos about the chapter, yeah, but yeah. he has some like interesting little like things that he, either he's brought to the table or he's meshing in from, from somewhere else. But uh, yeah, again, let's try not to go, go too far down those tracks and just get some basic stuff. So if, you, if you're just joining us, um, you would have noticed the last few uh, couple of uh, shows that Andrea and I have done. We've just tried to, uh, we're sticking to these uh, doctrinal categories. We're just having the discussion around them, trying to focus on the basics, just get these uh, key terms on the table and the idea is that we just put this on a separate playlist um now i realize like we get like four youtube viewers a year or something so for all four of you you know every, every why is Mom, everyone Jack. only listening to the podbean thing what's wrong with youtube i like well, watching us i think it's cool yeah, I love, well I, love I, watching I, I think i think you're so good looking i just i, any well, I think like i'm good looking. looking i mean i think yeah. dude i could watch me all day <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Why, on, that why on earth would people want to only listen to us when they could see us? I don't understand it. I, I don't think I don't think our voices are our best features. Definitely not. To be fair, I don't think uh, I don't think our faces are our best features either. Speak but, for yourself. Yeah. Speak for yourself. Yeah, man. I think you um, have nice feet. I can't <laughs> see your feet. Me <laughs> arranged. It's getting weird now. But um, okay, so listen. Um. What I was going to say there is that we, you know, we will, for anyone who uh, wants at least to see the organization of this, they can go onto YouTube, even if they don't like to see our face and they will see the playlist there. Cause I, I can't put the playlist on Podbean. I don't know how to do it. I suppose you could tag it. I'll figure it out. Anyway. So, you know, I realize it's totally irrelevant to everyone because no one's actually watching the YouTube channel. Um, but uh, what we'll do is just, we're, we're actually getting a decent way already because we're on, um, chapter five of five. Horton's thing and it goes up to uh where was it up to 19 20 all right so i take that back we're not a decent <laughs> way uh <laughs> it looked it looked <laughs> impressive for that first page there um but uh i mean we keep going like this we're we'll, more we'll we're more than that through. way I'd, I'd i'd say we're like like a quarter of maybe a fifth of the way through good all right so read along with that if you want but because we are truly not really touching the book we're just using those uh, titles we're obviously dipping in every now and again because Alton's got some good angles and um but uh you know really the goal is to just kind of put some stuff on the table it's been good getting some feedback about this series as well people have been appreciating it thanks for letting us know it's good just to you know it feels kind of like i don't know are we wasting people's time here but it is good just to just, just to put these things on the table and i think um ultimately it'll work well um what I was actually thinking today was just like, let's just keep going after this. Let's just keep on talking about books. Yeah, it's a cool thing to do. Mm -hmm. So enjoyable. You just sort of read it and then talk about it. Yeah. Well, it's like what we time. do anyway. Yeah. Um, again, so creation and human personhood. I like the way that he's brought those two things together. So the doctrine of creation and kind of anthropology as a, as a part of that, as the sort of pinnacle of it in many ways. Um, Anthropology is the study of man, humanity, um, and uh, obviously creation uh, is deeply connected to it because even just you think about the opening of Genesis, you got creation, day one, day two, and then it reaches its kind of pinnacle on day six where man is created in the image of God. So he uses that as an as a overriding 
structural feature of this chapter, and I think that's really good. Um, but we start by um, talking about this uh, sort of basic thing that he does every chapter, which I think is good. I'll just read this opening. He says, uh, just as we come to know God by attending to, sorry, just as we come to know God is the idea, by um, uh, attending to the covenantal drama rather than by speculating about his essence, the same is true for us, same is true for anthropology. Um, again, the doctrine arises out of the drama, in this case, the doctrine of humanity. However, we need a wider view of creation and providence before focusing specifically on humanity in relation to God. So I dig that. I like the way, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, Kelvin's opening, you know, who do we, we, we need to know God before we know ourselves and we need to know ourselves, and, you know, and all that. But what he's doing is just saying, listen, you know, where people try and find out about God in a metaphysical sense, we've already avoided that by thinking about the thing in, in solid covenantal terms. The, the drama gives rise to the doctrine, which brings the discipleship and the doxology. So no different now. And really, when you think about the doctrine of man and creation even, I mean, wow, here's where the speculation actually kind of really gets going in some sense with all your crazy Platonism and, and uh, dualism here and there. And, and so it is just a good point. Stick to the Bible here and that will bring about you know who we are rather than uh, all these uh, various points of speculation. Um, and this is like the church. I mean, this is theology, not just philosophy. Um, it's been One speculative, time. I think, to say the least. Um, mm -hmm. Cool. Any points you got to kick us off then? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, um, well, the point he kicks off with is that the you know, creation is, is uh, authored by the triune God. So it's bringing it back to the Trinity again. Everything's sort of going back in that direction. Yep. And so... I've always felt this. He makes the point that, you know, when we, when we adopt sort of philosophical arguments for, um, uh, for the existence of God, you know, thinking about things like the, the first mover or the, uh, the unmoved mover or the mm -hmm. first cause or everything like that, that actually there's a kind of danger associated with that. that we think of creation as a kind of impersonal act or, um, or, or simply cause and effect rather than actually, you know, God, the creator behind yep. that act, the yep. triune God. And, yep. and then the danger with that is we stop seeing all the nuance of actually the whole Godhead being involved in the act of, uh, act of creation. Yeah, totally. Um, I like, I like all those first, I mean, I don't want to diss them too much. Those, uh, unmoved mover sort of ideas. And, no, 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 of course But not. it's almost no, like it's just the, yeah, you just got to realize that Christian theology goes a lot more than that. It's not, yeah. you know, the argument. It, you have to you have to root it in the Trinity, not just stay with a yeah. kind of cause or a movement. Yeah, exactly. And you know, we're saying the principles would lead there, which help, which aid, show a rationality, a credibility to the idea. Uh, but that mm -hmm. doesn't mean that that equals God. You know, that's uh, or that that's the biblical revelation right there. So. Um, so yeah, we've got to stick with the Bible even in bringing about uh, this idea of uh, you know in in our minds of what it means for God to be who He is as a tr Trinitarian. We've just covered it in the last um, chapter, uh, Trinitarian Creator, the one who is um, self-sufficient, the one who uh, didn't need anything in His creation, the one who has everything that um, that matters really in the in the Trinity itself, and um, and then the one who creates by His word. Um, and so, uh, as he says here, the, the source of God's creative act is a loving freedom, not a necessity. When we say that something exists uh, necessarily, um, when it, 
we say, sorry, that, that something exists necessarily when it cannot be otherwise. In other words, mm. when it is... Um, it cannot oh not exist. Yeah, my iPad's doing that thing again. Dang. That's why you got to go paper, bro. Oh, there paper we go. It doesn't have any tech issues. I know. I've never had any trouble with uh, my iPad. All of a sudden, it's just going lupos on me. All right. Anyway, it's uh, God alone is necessary and eternal is what I can't remember what I was saying. Everything else is contingent and temporal. So there's stuff we've already looked at um, is it needs to yeah. be there when we think about creation now. God, God you know, mm-hmm. creates out of that rather than, um, uh, you know, as he says, the Jerry Maguire thing where, you know, now, now creation complete, you complete me. You know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. that's it's not, not what, what creation is. Is it and true yet that, that's, that Jonathan Edwards said that? Like, John, uh, didn't uh, John Edwards say that God needed to create? Wow, I don't know. I'm pretty, sh- I'm pretty sure he made a made a point like that. Wow, uh, but uh, this is a vague recollection from a series of lectures I listened to. But I think he made a point, and I think that John Piper comes perilously close to this as well. Mm. well what i was going to say i'm not sure about those guys but you know it is just rampant throughout you know your sort of popular theology that you know Mm. you know god just basically wouldn't be who he is unless he kind of you know he does what he does and and it just you know they don't say it up front but it really does you do get the feeling like oh i'm so glad that we could complete god you know um, so mm-hmm. glad that he could find his all in all in us, you know, and it just ends up being yeah. exactly the wrong way around. And uh, I think it is something to really watch out for, you know. Uh, yeah, I hear it a lot on the kind of loneliness angle, like God, you know, right, like right. God like wanted terrible. companionship. Yes, know? yes. Yeah, and it's like, no, no, God was, <laughs> no, that's not right. No, God wasn't lonely. And if he was lonely and just wanted companionship, he would have created something better than us. That's you know, true. Like, That's actually a great point. And, you know, I'm thinking maybe of like children's Bible stories sometimes. It brings this yeah. across. Um, and then just books, like popular books, really terrible books that hopefully we're not reading. But sometimes it just comes through. We're like, you know, God, you know, it's almost tied in with that free will argument. You know, God mm. sort of created us. And, and really that's the, that's the big yeah, exactly. you know, thing. So, yeah, yeah. He wanted to be like loved. The whole, the whole you know? The whole angle of of God, you know, saving us, um, you know, He must have chosen us for something. He saw something in us that He desired, you know. Well, and I was actually, I was thinking also say, just just this whole like idea of you know God needed to create one in His own image that had a free will that could love Him yeah, freely and therefore He could know what it's yes. really like to be loved, yes. you know. And it's yes. like I mean that's such blasphemy. You know, it's, You've got it's it. total blasphemous. And nonsense. it's, yeah. you know, and you yeah. come across it all the time. So, yeah, hopefully anyone listening to this, if, if that alone is is uh, just enough to trigger yeah. off some alerts there, you know. But that's connected to the salvation issue because that yeah. whole thing, you know, he wants us to love him and choose him. And, and yeah. so he kind of leaves it to us. And yeah. and actually, no, the, the reality is God loved us because he is loving, you know, and he loved yeah. us because he loved us. That's the bottom the bottom line there's no cause in us that would move god to that end mm. you know it's um it's his character that drove him to rescue us and and it's his character that drove him to create not his uh not out of necessity but out of over you know it's that overflow of god's goodness and love and generosity yeah totally makes the point about in that in that little section it makes the point about which i thought was really important that neither divine nor de- nor demonic 
all of creation is good in its intrinsic worldly difference from God. Yeah. That's Which good. I think is, you know, if you, you don't have to go with the root of saying that all creation is divine in order to be good. Neither do you go down the route of saying all creation is evil um, and is kind of like a prison that we can't escape from. Um, and if we do escape from it, then, you know, then, then we achieve something good. No, creation is good because it is something utterly distinct and, and different to, to the creator. He's made it that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that sounds good. Totally. Um, <clears throat> On that point, you've got um, something just in the idea of, of God being separate from the creation that uh, I thought he made a really interesting point in terms of um, uh, the, just the very idea of history being linear. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. You know, yeah. having a, just a beginning and an end and a, a sort of controlled narrative to it, you know, um, indicating God is a kind of author and, and creator um, is is different from almost every other conception of of creation coming out of different conceptions of who God is. So it says, uh, while the pagan myths treated earthly time as a projection of uh, eternal cycles, the very n- notion of history as linear movement from origin to goal um, in time arose in Israel. So I thought that that was really That's interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think it's true. I mean, I don't. Know, I'm not a huge expert in other ancient Near Eastern religious views and history, but. Uh, uh, you know, from from what I remember, there was this general. It's the kind of matrix thing, you know, um, where you kind of get to the end and you realize that you've been at this end many times before, and it's just this kind of constant cycle of beginnings and endings and beginnings and endings. And <clears throat> yeah, and you know, and it, I, I've heard it kind of suggested that the biblical story could fit into that in the sense that you've got a fall that keeps happening and then a new creation and then a fall and a new creation and a fall mm-hmm. and a new creation. Yeah, and, yeah. and and that isn't the biblical pattern because you see you see modern uh, like a lot of imagery movies make use of that. Like they'll always come yeah. back to the Garden of Eden or something as if it's like this yeah. eternal cycle and uh, they'll use the biblical imagery and try and vamp it it's in like there. The whole world is a giant groundhog day. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's a very pagan notion. So yeah, and yeah. and it's just helpful to know. Even just when you are thinking, in terms of linear history, you are really, you know, you're borrowing some serious Judeo-Christian yeah. ethic there, or at least uh, yeah. not ethic, but but uh, worldview. Um, so I think that's 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 a great point. Um, but you know, he um, he also talks talk, you know thinking about um, the way this moves from you know God's bringing it into being via creation to. Um, to providence and I think a very helpful section and something we need to talk about uh, you know in terms of just dealing with um, what does he call it um, kind of uh, anti-supernaturalism and I suppose an overreaction to that Um, Mm -hmm. you know where where we have to you know if we're gonna number one sort of you know assert that God has created everything by his word then then it's like every single thing must be created and, and under the direct um, mm. uh, supervision, no, supervision is not the right word, but um, the, the direct control uh, of God's yeah. supernatural agency. Uh, yeah. Whereas everything is miraculous intervention all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, um, and that's not 
what we're saying either. And this is actually a very important point as it goes into the doctrine of concursus later on. That's a big term that we want to get down. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just thinking about free, uh, divine, you know, human, human, um, divine sovereignty, human uh, freedom uh, of the will. And just that, that idea of, of God creating um, via his fiat, and, um, and this is where we get into all of that. And, um, and, and later on, he's got this whole thing on speech act theory, which he ties into this. But, but basically, it's, it's kind of this, then, the, then the earth built into God's creative speech um, in uh, bringing about the, the, the command. You know, the yeah. earth produces and brings forth. And uh, there's almost a secondary sort of idea there. Uh, as the creation responds, but that is the providence right there, and I found that mm-hmm. to be very helpful. In that, you've got God's creative fiat, and then and then the providence, the providential c- control arising out of that response of the creation. Uh, so yeah. I thought that was super deep, you know, uh, and it helps with all those those arguments around mechanism and uh, where you know yes. how, how God fits in and keeps us from God of the gaps theory, you know, yes, uh, which I thought was helpful. So yeah. So, I mean, just to come back and underline that, there's a kind of, um, you know, it, 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 one of the key aspects of the Christian way of thinking about creation then is that it is a creation which is brought about by means of the word. You know, that, mm-hmm. that's fundamental. You go back to the Genesis account, it is through speaking, mm-hmm. you know, it, that, that God creates and it's through speaking uh, that God sustains and and governs and Mm. so that the kind of centrality of god's word in in creating is really really important in Mm -hmm. terms of the christian understanding of of creation but it also has implications for the way we understand other things so Mm -hmm. you go to uh for example um the the classic sola scriptura debate Mm -hmm. um and you talk about well did the church create the canon or did the canon create the church and if you if you trace that theme through in terms of its you know from beginning to end, you you see a, a clear pattern in the scriptures that it's always the word that creates the people, mm. not the other way around. So the the very notion that sola scripture could uh, not be true because the church created the canon is to is to get in reverse that fundamental theme that it's the word that creates. Yeah. Um, and so it goes, which goes all the way back to creation, all, all the way back to you know, yeah. the creative act of the triune God. So the word must create the church, not the other way around. Yeah, he says, uh, we may put these two types of speech acts in the form of let there be and let it become what I have worded it to be. I like mm. that. Um, he uses these, uh, an illustration with his wife. You know, if, if my wife tells me, I love you, she not only does something by her, her words, mm. uh, but she brings a, a grateful affection about in me. And so obviously, as he says, it's a, it's a pale analogy, but it, it's, it's a helpful one. Um, as, a, it, as a point yeah. of curiosity, the, this way of, of, of talking about it, this, this kind of, you know, of speech act, you know, that God speaks and it creates an effect. Um, obviously, the concept is there from Scripture very, very clearly. Mm. But that language of talking about it, is that sort of, is that like a Van Hooser, you know, like speech act theory, modern set of Yeah, it comes out of linguistics, if I'm not mistaken. So it's, uh, 
it's yeah. not it's not yeah it's uh it's it's quite a provocative thing to do to to make use of uh you know fairly recent like cutting edge linguistic theory and yeah. um and then apply and and see that as, but it makes sense to do it because i mean if you're thinking i mean especially with th- linguistics you know i mean yeah. and the power of language and word it's all it's all wrapped up and and so it makes sense to apply those categories as he's done uh, i think he has received a little criticism for it and i think it has some sort of lutheran twang to it i haven't put all that together yet but okay yeah, um, yeah. But anyway, well, he's not line. the first one. But I just, I was just curious to know if you were reading sort of Kelvin or something, mm. would you find similar language? No, I don't think theory? so. No, 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 you wouldn't. I don't think so. I could be, I mean, I might be mistaken, but I doubt it. Yeah, I didn't think so either. It did, yeah. it did sound remarkably like the kind of hermeneutic <laughs> stuff that I was doing. Yeah, exactly. No, it's but, it's uh, more like Horton trying to play. You know, he's playing. He's playing around. This but to be fair, I think it's uh, I think, uh, and it's why I like Van Hooser because he made yeah. a big deal of the speech act theory. Yeah. Uh, you know, Tim Ward applied speech act theory to scripture. You know, and he's got a great little book on it, and I think it's right. Like, it's a useful, mm. it's a useful. Um, I don't know what the right word for it. Uh, like a, a useful set of language tools to describe yeah. what's going yeah, on. In that's creation. all it is. Conceptual categories and, and yeah. ability to kind of break it down. Um, and, but it is crucial, as he says. This is a crucial point especially at a time when some Christians overreact against naturalistic assumptions of our modern world uh, yeah. in the direction of hyper-supernaturalism. Every rustling of a leaf has... Um, mm. Oh, my goodness. I bet it's doing it again. Um, yeah, hang on. I'm trying to find that same part. I think I underlined it. So. Uh, every... Okay, that's back again. Wow, crazy. Uh, this uh, overreact against supernatural... Uh, blah, blah, blah against the naturalistic assumptions of our modern world in the direction of hyper-supernaturalism. Uh, he says, every rustling of a leaf has to be seen as the, a direct act of God in, in this approach. In order to attribute everything to God, one must eliminate natural causes. And of course, that gets you into a bit of a, you know, a debacle, to say the least, as you try and figure out uh, you know, how everything works, and, and especially uh, for those who are you know, trying to put this together with basically just, uh, you know, the way the, the book of nature, really, uh, as mm. we study science and those sorts of things. Um, no. But he says, uh, you know, this inevitably reduces our sense of God's involvement to the miraculous only, the fiat, let there be. That's only that we're only using that category um, mm. as mm. a type of speech act. Uh, furthermore, we fall pay, uh, pray to the God of the gaps apologetics, as we said already. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And that means treating God as the answer to the mysteries of the national uh, natural science. But, you know, then they find something and then it's like they squeeze God out of it because now all of a sudden yep. they've got a naturalistic explanation. We should never succumb to any of that because that's not what we're saying at all. They go, go wild with your naturalistic explanations. Mm. You know, we're all about mechanism, you know, yeah. uh, that nothing ever challenges God as the, as the, yeah. the, the, the divine fiat behind all of that. Um, yeah. And so I think it, has, it is just an absolutely crucial thing. Uh, well, I, I, was, I read, um, uh, I read through a, a, a philosophy of science uh, book a collection of essays because I was getting ready for something else and um, and in it there was a quote from um, a, a, a well-known uh, scientific philosopher or philosopher of science who, who basically said that, that what moved people to begin to study the laws of nature was the conviction that there was a lawmaker you know so the, the, the reason it was believed that laws of nature could be found was because yep. it was believed there was a yep. lawmaker. Because right. otherwise, why should there be any laws of, of nature? And that's a great illustration of 
seeing that one category of creator and then providence mm. as the second category as being, a, you know, behind all the, mm. the mechanisms, but you're seeing it in different. I think that's so helpful. You know, you know, I think about it all the time, you know, and I think you, mm. you, you have to, um, cause you have to think this way. You have to, you know, if you're a Christian, you believe that, that, um, you know, every hair on your head is accounted for. Not a sparrow falls mm. to the ground. And, yeah without the Lord knowing about it. Do Christians believe that though? I think well, that's and this the problem. Is the thing. And, yeah. you know, especially as Calvinists, we come along and we're like, we definitely believe it. God is sovereign over every molecule, <laughs> yeah, yeah. etc. But But then what happens is like, a, you see a leaf fall to the ground one day and you think yeah. to yourself, well, like, am I being, Am I being a little bit crazy that, that God truly superintended that for you? But the reason you're thinking like, in a, in a weird way is you're thinking in terms of divine fear, you know, and it's mm. true. You're catching something true there. You've gone overboard. If you think that yeah. God is like expressing a divine fear at every point to like make this leaf fall to the ground, you know, that's not what, what we're saying. We're, we're transitioning from creation to providence that God is no less sovereign. He's no less God. He's no less in control, but it's, mm. you know, it's a different cat. It, God makes use of, of these mechanisms. The wind is what brought that leaf to the ground, you know, or the air or the gravity exactly. or whatever. Else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's that kind of, um, uh, what did he, uh, I've underlined it. He put it so well um, at some point. I'm just trying to find exactly where he, where he put it. Um, well, but, you, uh, yeah, go on. Go well, on. I was just thinking while you're looking there. Um, well, I, I appreciated. I remember reading this in Kelvin too, and I, I yeah, this is one of the points talking about Kelvin earlier. I really did appreciate in in Kelvin's own doctrine of providence. But he said even John Kelvin had no trouble speaking of fortunate, um, or, or yeah. fortunate happenings, chance, you know? yeah. chance happenings. Yeah. I love that because you know it makes you. You know, turn into a complete weirdo. You know, the, the Bible mm. is in sync with reality. It's resonant. Um, uh, you know, he, he, he had no problem talking about those things because uh, that's exactly how they appear to us, you know, and mm. that's, that's right. And yet, even in those instances, God is sovereign over the contingencies. And that takes me to want to think about concurses just briefly before we get to the doctrine of man. Did you find your thing? That you were yeah, well, the bit is just before the concursus bit, actually. Okay. So the, yeah. um, we just summarize it really well. He says, we can say that God healed someone of cancer and that mm. the doctors healed him or her. God is no less to be praised when he works through ordinary means that he's created and sustains than when he acts unilaterally and miraculously. Isn't that Childbirth most, is not a miracle, yeah, but one of the most marvelous examples of God's mighty providence. Yeah, I love that. It's not a miracle, and people go, "Oh, how dare you say that about my?" You know, yeah. like, but what we're, we're saying, technically speaking, it's a big category mistake to call a childbirth yeah. a miracle, precisely because it is amazing. Yeah, we're not saying it's not wonderful. Yeah. It's not. Yeah, it's, it's amazing as God's normal process, for lack of a better word. But um, it's just, uh, yeah, that's how profound providence is. You know it. Yeah, we don't give it enough props, so to speak. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. 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 And or we or we turn into some sort of magical thing. You totally. know? Yeah. Um, you know, it, because it's a re, it's, it's 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 trying to again. It's, it's so much of it is just trying to it's trying to avoid the pitfalls on on other end, isn't it? So you you, you just you want to avoid the kind of deism. Mm -hmm. The world is purely a machine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That God winds up the clock and then just leaves it, and He's not mm -hmm. interested in it. You, mm -hmm. know, you know, He doesn't intervene; is not personally involved. The language of Scripture just doesn't allow for that. So, mm -hmm. but that's not to say that there isn't a kind of winding up of the machine involved. Right. It just means that 
God winds up the machine, but is still involved in the ticking of the clock. And then, you know, yeah. and, and then the, the, in the way that things work in the mechanism. So yeah. you know, it's, it's probably not right to use mechanism as a way of speaking about it, but it's not well, that there are no laws. I you do know, like the laws. mechanism idea because you, you have like atheists that just go crazy. They go, oh, see, we found the mechanism. We found out how the thing works. This is what the, the cog makes yeah. the clock thing tick. And they're like, see, there's no God. And you got to go, dude, mm. I never had a problem with the mechanism. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, never, God never made been it and issue. uses it. This is the whole point. You know, it's not like, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. you have made the yeah. category confusion, not me. Um, so, you know, there's that. And really what we're saying here and, and together with this, wrapped up with this is an important term. I just want to put out there if we're doing this for like just putting out phrases and definitions and whatnot. Um, concursus is a doctrine that we'll come back to with, with uh, you know, the, the Calvinism, Arminian debate. Uh, but but even on this issue of providence, essentially, you're just saying God, God is 100% sovereign, and you know mm. there's no there, um, you know you, there's no need to compromise on that if you're affirming the reality of these mechanisms and the and the creation bringing forth and this inherent fruitfulness, etc. Um, as he says, uh, Christian theologians speak of concursus, which means going together. By the way. Uh, as a way to talk about divine and human agency, God is always at work, but in his own way as the sovereign God. He's in a completely different category. He's the author of the story. He's not part of the book, uh, it, it, you know, in that categorical sense. God is always at work, but in his own sovereign way. Sometimes God acts directly and immediately, as in the fiat um, word of ex nihilo creation or in uh, the incarnation, at other times, indirectly, immediately, as in the let the earth bring forth speech act. Mm. Um, yeah. so so helpful I love the way that gets you to truly praise God when you were healed by antibiotics you're yeah. not you're not like yeah. going you must be worshipping him in the same way that if if he just healed you you know by touching you know Jesus just his shadow touched you and you know and you were immediately clean you got to be worshipping Jesus in the same way for healing you through antibiotics it's no less amazing mm. it's mm -hmm. uh, you know it, and you know, I, it's a bit I, like when you have that conversation with your kids um, at the dinner table, and you're thanking them for the lasagna. You know, you're thanking God for the, providing the, the food or something. Yeah, and and they're like, but you know, you made the lasagna, right? Okay, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, exactly. Do, do, do you know what I mean? And so yeah. there's this kind of you you, you can do both. Yeah, well, um, and this is exactly it. Concursus is both, so you yeah. don't put either one of those down for a second. So. Yes, yeah. you saw mom make that lasagna. You don't have to deny it to be a Christian. You don't have to like get all weird <laughs> and yeah. pretend that no one made the lasagna so you can keep up yeah. your little fable of God. You know, that's just not how it works. Uh, it was making you, me hungry. You confess yeah. that God, God has provided this lasagna. He has given us this lasagna. But yeah. it's like, you know, uh, I like where Luther put it. He, he uses masks. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 So like we're at that moment, but it's not even just the, it's not even just the making of the lasagna. The fact that the lasagna is being given to you by your mother mm -hmm. is yeah. actually God giving you the lasagna. Like, totally. you know, like yeah. it's his gift to you. Mm -hmm. And he's used all sorts of means to, to get, get this gift yeah. to you. Yeah. And, and so in, in that sense, you know, you're, the hands of your mother become the hand of God giving you the gift. Like Absolutely. it's, it's yeah. the, you know, the mask. Yeah. I, yeah. I love the way he put it where he said, it's misleading to assume that when God acts more, 
we act less. Yeah, that's it. And that's where it kicks in with the free will, God sovereignty thing. As if there was a, I mean, yeah. I think in another book, or maybe this one, Horton talks about the freedom pie. You okay. know, I don't know. Let's yeah. save the freedom pie for when we get to the freedom thing. But he's basically saying, listen, you yeah. don't share a freedom pie with God. You know, <laughs> that's, that's blasphemy for you to do that. Like he, he's got his own freedom pie. You know, yeah. God's freedom is not compromised. You don't have to like give him one of your slices and then you have less and he has yeah, one of yours. Exactly. You know, it just doesn't yeah. work like that. They're two totally different freedom pies here and uh, no one's yeah. eating out of the other one. And f- for God to eat out of a created freedom pie is really yeah. just a, a kind of a blasphemy on its own right. So you have to, yeah, watch out for that. But it's kind of like, I feel like we fall into this trap as Christians all the time in so many different ways, you know, you, you, about what we are amazed by. So like, you know, mm. you take, for example, the guy who goes out and he's been working um, on a non-Christian no- neighbor, sharing the gospel, apologetically arguing, and eventually, and, you know, after years and years of this, they finally make a profession of faith. They get baptized and we're like, Oh, that's awesome. Mm. But somebody else just walks into the church you know, and says, Do you know, what? I, I just woke up this morning, felt I needed to come to church, comes to church, gets, you know, makes a profession of faith right there, baptized in a couple of weeks. And, and, and that's like much more impressive or, yeah. you know, like, oh, wow, because we did so little, God must have done more. more. Whereas yeah. with the other case, you know, um, you know, because we did so much, God did obviously must have done less. And so yeah. that kind of, the more human involvement means the less divine involvement, the, le- mm-hmm. the more divine involvement means the less human involvement. That whole thing means that we're just in, like, we lose the wonder of seeing actually, you know, the, the, the Christians who give regularly are just as much a provision of God as the, as the random amount of money that appears in the church's bank account. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's, Absolutely. It, it, they are both all God, <laughs> all yep. God and, and yep. human involvement too. Totally. Love it. And I think we, we'll come back to that one. So that's a good one to just put on the table and uh, we'll keep returning to it. Um, we're kind of running out of time to do anything um, super technical or super, um, at least not even, we're not doing anything technical, but you know, super uh, detailed at least on uh, the anthropology side, but maybe just mm-hmm. a few things to connect the dots. And, uh, and then I think we'll keep coming back to it as well. Uh, as long as we have these definitions uh, nicely you know, and I say definitions, I mean, these are like things that we all sort of move on and keep talking about. So I'm not trying to mm-hmm. P- mm-hmm. put anything for anyone taking notes to write down now, but, but just words that we'll keep coming back to that hopefully should start feeling um, familiar toward the end. Um, and yeah. that is just this idea of uh, dualism, which we've already mentioned, mm-hmm. and monism. So God creates man. And then obviously the big thing is, um, you know, how is man in the image of God? Uh, what does that mean? What is the makeup of man? Is it a tri? You know, is there a, a three elements: body, mind, um, uh, body, mind, yeah. soul? Uh, that, yeah. I'm thinking of. You know, I'm thinking of. Tria yeah, I know what you Uno. Oh my goodness, yeah. yeah. Okay, so not that. Uh, but how but much body theology has come through the body, mind? soul or body spirit soul body spirit soul yeah trichotomy yeah a lot i mean people have just hopped onto that and made all sorts of weird things out of it you know to be honest for me personally as long as soul you know sometimes it's basically uh people talk about the spirit as the higher form of the soul and then you're just talking about the inner versus the outer and um you know we should do a show on the avium the the Dovitz thing 
I'll come back to that. This is crazy. I know nothing about this. Yes. Oh I my god! Uh, wow, that was that was a mind bender right there. But anyways, this is because he just hated dualism. He just wanted to get away from all. Like he just wanted. To, he didn't. He had to confess the inner reality of man, but you know he didn't want to make a, a dualistic sort of mind body thing. Okay. And and so he came. I mean, backflips, man, to get. Uh, wow, it was pretty impressive wow. though. It was uh, you know wow. Um, but all we need to say at this point, right? rather than lead this whole thing astray. It's just that, you know, a a Greek um, sort of system of looking at man, and this is very prominent in a lot of thinking today. Um, You mentioned Matrix earlier. It's kind of like that. It's basically like we're just trapped in our bodies and we're trying to get out. And the true essence of man is is the the, the inner spiritual side. Um, and, And this prison is the body. And obviously that's very set against the biblical picture. Um, and so, you know, dualism, I think is rightly, I mean, that is a dualism and an extreme form of dualism, you know, would move along those lines. Uh, And then you have on the other side of monism, Mm -hmm. which is really uh, almost like your, again, your naturalist, um, you know, maybe your atheist, that that sort of thing, who would just deny any inner reality. We're all just uh, basically um, just a bunch of uh, electric sparks moving along and, and, uh, you know, our brain cells doing what they're doing, but there's no Mm -hmm. actual, um, in a reality. And so that's the other extreme. What I think is a very helpful word is duality. There is, there is distinction between body and and, and soul spirit. Yeah. Without separation. I love what RC Sproul said to distinguish between your body and your soul is to do with no harm, but to separate it is to kill someone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's in a nutshell. That's so good. Uh, separate your body and your soul. You've just killed the guy. So, so basically, uh, you know, we want to distinguish. We want to keep a, a monistic reality there. It's all one thing, uh, but it's duality. It's not dualism. You know. So, I think yeah. that's something well, I'm that's starting right. to. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and he does mention that, and it's just something again quite fresh for me, looking through uh, a lot of Dovet Klein and that sort of stuff. But then one more thing that I just want to put on the table before uh, kind of br- bringing this to a close because we'll talk a lot more about this, I think, as we go through covenantal stuff. Um, and that's the image of God. And here's where I mentioned earlier that um, he's got this interesting take on, on, on Klein, and he's sort of saying the same thing, but not really. Um, because Klein sort of does this whole big thing with the image, and you know, it's quite a big feature in his theology. But, let, but let's leave that aside. I think uh, one, of, one of the things that he does that I really like is he says, and he's, he's drawing on Bovink. I haven't actually... Uh, read this in Bovink, but basically that the image is less something, you know, in us and something that's semi-divine or something that's a, you know, feature of humanity and more something between us and God. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's something, um, how does he put it? Uh, the image of God is not something in us. Yep. That's good. That constitutes a covenantal relationship. So basically he's looking at, um, He's wanting to say, I don't know if he actually wants to go ahead and say the image is the covenantal relationship itself. Yeah. But well, I like that. I mean, I would almost want to say, yeah. That. Yeah. So, because what it does is it well, accounts. Well, and I think that does fit in with the. Sorry, go for it. Well, I think it does, it does fit in with the, um, the whole, the whole business of 
the ancient Near Eastern thing, you know, of the image being someone who it's not a particular person. It's a role that a person fulfills. So, you know, it's that relate, the image is the person, the representative of the, the real thing, mm. you know, and, and the image would act in that, in that way, you know, both, totally. both in a, in a, in a temple, but also in, um, in, you know, in a kind of ambassador sense, mm. Um, mm. you know, in the Christian faith, his bigger book, he, he sort of shows how all of, all of the normal stuff that people have thought about as the image, like our intellectual capacity, which is different from the animals and, yeah, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And it all fits in if you're thinking about our capacity to be in covenantal relationship. In right. that, we know, every part of those, you know, whether, as you just said, if it's our rulership function or our, um, mm. you know, uh, you know our, our particular ability to love God and respond to Him in worship, our ability to reason through things. I mean, if they're all subsets of the ability of our person to actually enter into a covenant with God, then you know it's a way to kind of bring all those ideas together. Actually, it's not even saying goodbye to any of that reasoning in in church history. It's more just saying, all right, the focus wasn't exactly right there, in that the actual thing was the covenantal relationship. So I really like that. And what you know, I think it's quite mind blowing as well because, you know, if he draws on this idea of the covenant servant, you know, being the image of God, then the one who says. Here I am, send me, you know, is, is basically the one who is responding as you know, the divine fiat and you're responding, here I am, send me. And, um, and you see this uh, represented throughout scripture at certain points, uh, these, these sort of archetypical covenant servants. But then you get to Jesus, who is the image of God. And who is he? He's the one in perfect covenant relationship with God, you know, as the second Adam. So it just works really well. And then also just the the fallenness of men who are yet created in the image of God. I like that as well because men, um, you know, they retain the image. What does that mean? It means they retain their status as covenant relationship creatures. It's kind of like, it's one of those, you know, you know, Hey, you should have a relationship with Jesus. You know, no, no, no. Everyone's in relationship with God. Yeah. Yeah. Because of Adam, very intimate relationship, a profound bestowal of relationship you it's are not a healthy relationship no you are in enmity because of this relationship <laughs> that you have the capacity to enter into and you yeah. have entered into it and you know and this is you but that's yeah. your that is the image in some ways um you know and again that might be pushing what he wants to do a little bit too far it's always i can't really tell exactly what he wants to go with that but but it does um, connect something that we we glossed over at the beginning um that i think helps to back this idea a mm-hmm. little bit mm-hmm. is he, he quotes from um is it Brueggemann um Walter at the beginning to talk about how the creative uh act is a covenantal act so the fact oh, that yeah. everything comes through speech totally. connects it to the idea of covenant so God always makes covenants with his speech and so what's happening yeah. in creation is the setting up of a covenant with creation oh yeah and yeah. so that then provides the sort of background for mm-hmm. understanding the image of God as a covenant, as, as a particular part of creation that is yeah. occupying a certain covenant relationship to, to God. And this is, um, this is where, you know, the client thing comes in because he, he takes that idea to the hilt and that he's just going, you know, he's just very, he objects to the idea that God later makes a covenant of works, you know, as if, as if, as if it was a possibility that God could have done yeah. all of this without already having brought him into into covenant uh, and that's another topic but it's it, it definitely overlaps with what what horton's saying yeah i love the way that also you know god makes a covenant um with one in his image right and then 
Adam, you know, Eve is created in the image of Adam and they are covenanting together in marriage mm. as an image of the reality of man with God. It's just like, you know, it's another one of those like affirmations that there is this covenantal reality going on. It's like, it's like looking in a mirror that's next to a mirror and you see images of images. <laughs> exactly what it's like. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and not to mention the, the issue of, you know, just um, that God is now, you know, the whole thing is God has just done the thing that needs to be imaged, essentially. He's just made yeah. the world and entered into rest. And now man yeah. created in this direct image with the image bearer woman, you know, is now going to work to enter into rest. Yeah, it's a mirror, mirror within a mirror thing. It's 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 great. It's crazy. And it's just it? um it's all these little um yeah, just all these little what do you call them confirmations and uh just clues that you're on the right track there. Um but I think uh you know, we'll definitely come to some of that with the two atom stuff and, and when we get into Christology. So that's enough to just lay the groundwork at this point. Uh, obviously realizing we're not trying to be comprehensive. There's a lot more in that chapter, but um, I think I feel okay with leaving it at that. It's about a, I think we're at about an hour, a little over. So yeah, the only thing we didn't say anything about, which I think, um, which we'll have to touch on at some point is the mm-hmm. common grace idea. But I think we've kind of been touching on it a bit. That's true. And it's very overlapping with, providence anyway um yeah, yeah. you know in that the, that providence remains you know yes, whether you're exactly. in saving grace yeah. or not so in some ways you know in fact i've heard many people wanting to not use the term and i see their argument too like let's just yeah. jettison the idea of common grace as a as a thing and just just yeah. talk about providence because then you're not even giving the idea that it's redemptive you know mm. it's it's just God controlling everything you know and, and yeah exactly and you sort out the issue of his lordship at the same time Anyway, all right. I feel like I'm just going to move out. of. Con- it's going to go crazy unless we stop it now. I think we need to stop. Yeah. No, no, we've right. done good. We've done good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Nice. Nice.